Welcome in the name of the Lord to our regular broadcast of Shear Jashub, a Bible study program brought to you by the Fellowship of Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. My name is Patty Scalzo, and today my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, and I will be starting a new series on heavenly authority. Greg, how would you answer someone who asks, where does authority come from? Patty, that's an excellent question, and obviously one that has presented some confusion in the church over the centuries. And it's not a question you want to answer superficially. The simple answer is that authority comes from God, true authority. But in the series that follows, we will study what the New Testament teaches about authority in the church, and we will go back into the Old Testament, starting at the creation, to develop a solid background for the study. And an adequate answer encompasses not only how authority works in the church structure, but what godly authority is in the family and in other areas of life. So we've taken our time and devoted a number of programs to the topic to give it proper depth. So now, let's go into the study. Let's begin with today's reading in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 27. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Where does authority come from? What are its responsibilities and limits? Who can bestow authority? How is it to be recognized and observed in the church? These are important questions for the Christian. How are we to know if someone truly speaks from the Lord and teaches his truth? The question took on new impact in the last decade with the confusion and scandals that became so public in Christendom. And more and more the skepticism of Pontius Pilate's words, what is truth, echoes over the airwaves and in the secular press and covers our nation as a blanket. Often the gospel has become an object of ridicule, and those searching are confused as to where to go and who to trust. At the same time, there is no shortage of voices and teachings. The sermon of one may directly contradict the sermon of the next, yet we know God is one. Different churches with variant interpretations dot our land with loyal followers, yet who was right? A cry arises from the hearts of the sincere, pleading with God to intercede and give clear guidance. All eternity is on the line here, so religion cannot be some game, nor can the church be simply some social club. And these questions are important questions. This is not some intellectual debate on a matter of little importance which people listen to out of casual curiosity. We are discussing the very will of God, and only God's truth deserves our loyalty. Today, and in the coming weeks of the broadcast, we will be looking at what the Bible says about heavenly authority. For those listeners who sincerely desire to know God's will for authority and leadership in His church, we feel this study series will prove very valuable. 
Our reading today is a key scripture, and we will return to it again in future programs. Notice how the whole question of authority is raised and addressed. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Two important questions which we are also considering. What is the nature of your authority? And where does it come from? However, a reading of the whole gospel account reveals that when the chief priests and elders asked the Lord these questions, they were not doing so out of true sincerity. Instead, they were trying to catch the Lord and to test him in the evil sense of the word. A proper paraphrase of their underlying emotions might well be, just who do you think you are that you can come in here, drive out our money changers, and set yourself up as a teacher? You are not one of us, and we haven't approved of you. What right do you have speaking to the people like an expert? We are the leaders. And obviously, Patty, they wouldn't be that blunt in their questioning because of their concern for the multitude who only two days before had taken the branches of palm trees and went out to meet Jesus with the cries of, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Jesus could have attempted to reason with them based on his miracles and his teachings and his fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. And in fact, he had done so earlier in his ministry. And we have these arguments to the religious leaders recorded in the Gospel of John. He had often called God his Father. And the very manner in which he had entered Jerusalem clearly asserted his claim as the Messiah. However, here, at the end of his earthly ministry, with the public watching and hanging on his words, he turned their attention to John the Baptist, a mere man who had come baptizing with a message of repentance. With the focus now placed by Jesus on this lesser personality, he gave the chief priests and elders only two options. Either John's message was from heaven, and he was enacting under the authority God had given him, or his message was only from men, a figment of John's mind or the people's desires, and so, by implication, of no value or worth. If John's words were from God, and yet they did not believe him, it is not so important that they rejected John, a mere man, as they rejected God and God's teachings. Notice that Jesus puts before them the message, the baptism of John. Where was it from? And not so much the man. John the Baptist had freely testified, as we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 31, that he was from the earth, unlike the Messiah who was from above. And John's discouragement in prison, as recorded in Matthew chapter 11, shows us that he, like any man, could stumble. Yet Jesus asked the baptism of John. Where was it from? What about this great message of repentance and the coming kingdom of which John preached? Greg, some people believe that if a person says something that generally sounds good behind a pulpit, it is sufficient. Many believe that God cannot be known, and so the clergy cannot receive guidance from God, and they don't expect their ministers to receive any leading on God's truth. If a man or woman has studied well at seminary and gives a nice sermon that makes the church community feel good, they think that's all that can be expected. And we know that such reasoning is absurd. Jesus did not give this view any credit. There were only two options, from heaven or from men. If a man preaches only because he has some degree, or his message helps identify some social ill, but not because he has been directly called and anointed by God to do so, his message is not from heaven. 
Indeed, many modern ministers don't even believe in God or heaven. His message is only from men and of no good or value to the kingdom of heaven. And he would do well to leave the pulpit and to confess his true feelings. But if a man is anointed from God, and only God can anoint, and his message is from the throne of heaven, to reject his message is to reject God's word, and to accept his message is to accept God's word. Jesus taught this principle over and over in the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42, Jesus told the apostles, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. But up at verses 14 and 15 he says, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now the religious leaders of the time didn't really like John any better than they liked Jesus. In today's reading we see how the elders and chief priests reasoned among themselves that if they said John's baptism was from heaven, Jesus would be able to say to them, why then did you not believe him? They didn't believe John. And in Luke chapter 7 verse 30, we read how the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Oh, they asked John, sure enough, who he was, just as they were now asking Jesus. And that's recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. First, John the Baptist is questioned by the priests and Levites sent from Jerusalem, and then by those sent from the Pharisees. But, Greg, when they asked the questions, you sense that there was not the heartfelt consideration. Could this man really be a prophet from God? Someone might say that maybe they didn't believe God could speak to a man. If that was the case, then they were in the wrong business. For their whole religion was based on successive revelations by God to men, from Abraham to Moses to David and all the prophets. And if John was indeed God's messenger, it would have meant a vital impact on their lives. John claimed to point to the Messiah. He said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. If this was really true, they would have to believe and be zealous for his message. There was no place for lukewarmness. The question was one of God's eternal plan. The stakes were extremely high. But at best, John's baptism to some of the religious leaders was a show, a fad that they might be able to use. In Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 7, we read, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And just as they thought they could use John's baptism then as a show, 
Now, in keeping with their pretense, they fear the crowd's response should they attack John's authority in answer to the Lord's question. Notice, they are not concerned for the truth of where John's baptism came from any more than they were really concerned whether God had sent the Messiah or not. They were concerned for themselves and their group and how they would appear. Their non-committal answer, we do not know, was not because of honest indecision, but rather a means to sidestep the question and the resulting problems it caused. And the Lord shrewdly turned the tables so that they received back from him the appropriate response which they deserved. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Today's lesson was an interesting one. Greg, the Lord answered these leaders with wisdom and strength. That's right, Patty. And we're going to continue to look at this powerful dialogue in our next program. As well as discover some interesting facts from the Bible about authority in the original creation and in the Garden of Eden. Patty, that sounds good. So we invite our listeners to join us for the next program in the Authority series. We rejoice that you could join us for the program today and hope that it was a blessing to you. We here at Sheer Jashub love to receive your notes of encouragement, or if you feel led of the Lord to financially support the Bible study outreach of our church, please send all correspondence and donations to Sheer Jashub Christian Tabernacle, Post Office Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Also, if you will be in the area, please join us for Sunday service. Sheer Jashub Christian Tabernacle meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the upper room of the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Take I-95 to exit 61. Go down to Route 1. Turn right, and at the next light, turn right again. Please join us for our next broadcast of Sheer Jashub.